In this episode of Paid by the Word, Mike interviews Tammy Asenson, Principal Court Attorney for the Appellate Division of the New York State Supreme Court. Here's a snippet from their conversation. Wow, that's so cool. And of course, that's it. So has there been a TV program about a principal court attorney at the New York State Appellate Division? If not, <laughs> why? <laughs> I, I think it's, uh, well, I think about that also, for example, um, with uh, we had interns and I'm like, this is kind of a boring job. If someone comes to see what I do, they just sit, see me sitting at a desk and writing. <laughs> so that's that's probably why there's no TV show. Well, hello there, and welcome to Paid by the Word, a podcast featuring conversations with professional writers and editors. If you are curious about what goes on in the minds of people who write and edit for a living, this podcast is for you. Thank you, Zoe. In this episode, I talk with Tammy Azenson, Principal Court Attorney for the Appellate Division of the New York State Supreme Court. Tammy is a lawyer, but quite a bit of her work at the Appellate Division involves writing, and she faces many of the same challenges that confront journalists, such as constantly sifting through facts and evidence to determine what's true and what isn't. In many ways, she seems like the ideal journalist, engaged in a never-ending search for objectivity and truth. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Tammy, and thank you for being a guest on the show. You've, you've had a wonderful career as an attorney. You've been an associate at a major law firm, a New York County assistant district attorney, a legal recruiter, and a recruiting manager at another law firm. And now you are principal court attorney for the appellate division of the New York State Supreme Court. Tell us about your career path. You had initially set out to become a dancer. How did you wind up becoming an attorney? Well, Mike, thank you so much for inviting me uh, to speak. It's a real honor. Um, well, I was a dance major in college, and that was, ironically, given my ultimate career path, it was because I wanted to be able to do a senior project where I wouldn't have to write. I could do a dance. I was allowed to, I did a dance presentation instead. So after college, I came to New York City to dance, and I was a modern dancer. Bad career choice. There's, there's no jobs. Um, I did jazz dance, but I couldn't sing. There goes Broadway. Wasn't really a ballet dancer. And, but I was, you know, I'm plugging along and taking classes, and I had um, a sort of epiphany moment in a class where uh, an excellent modern dancer was in the class. She was with a company. It was everything I could dream of. She was a much better dancer than I was. And she left class early and said to the teacher, oh, I have to get to my waitressing job. <laughs> so I realized that even if I was successful, I would need another job to pay the rent. And I thought, well, why not go to law school? So I applied to law school and I figured I'd go if nothing better was going on. I got accepted to a few schools. And at, at about that time, um, I was fired from a low-level office job. Um, oh, this is this is kind of funny. It was the a music publishing company of Lieber and Stoller, the oh, wow. really wow. famous, yeah, yeah, sure. the uh, famous songwriting team. They did Stand By Me, Hound Dog, I mean, and, uh, you name it, they did the hit. And I was the assistant 
receptionist. I was filling in for the receptionist. The phone rang. I reached over to answer the phone. The chair rolled. I fell backwards, picked up the phone and said, shit. <laughs> Realized I had just answered the phone, shit. And I hung up. And it was either Leaper or Stoller calling in. And I got fired. <laughs> oh, so I went to law school. <laughs> <laughs> Good choice. <laughs> um, and I did very well in law school. Um, all I did was study and I would take a dance class during the day. Uh, I fit one in somehow. And um, I was I got a position as an associate in a big law firm. Yeah, I want to do arts law, international law. I, I wanted to be in court. I wanted more action. I want to talk to clients. Um, but a large law firm is a rather brutal environment. And there's no, you have like senior associates and partners and you write something and everyone's pulling it apart and then putting it back together again. And, and it was a very, um, uh, you're not really yourself. You don't have autonomy. So I made a switch to government, uh, which is where most of the lawyers, young lawyers seem to be enjoying their work and they seem to be able to do, to have autonomy. Um, it was a big change. I went to the Manhattan DA's office with no background in criminal law. I went from a beautiful office with a view over Central Park, a secretary, all this, and I get to the DA's office and I land in an elevator shaft, literally. That was my office, was the elevator shaft. But it wasn't a private elevator shaft. I shared it. <laughs> um, and there I was. I went from a job where I was also interacting with people all the time. And I'm sitting at my desk, uh, pre-computer, so I'm writing on yellow pads, and I'm researching. And But just sitting there, um, it was a, a, a big change in a lot of ways. But I got to do my own cases. I got to do arguments. Nobody, this, the partner wasn't taking my argument away because it was an important case. And um, and and my whole, I, I gradually became used to it. I became used to a, um, a quieter workday, let's say, uh, less interactive. And um, it was a shift. It was really a shift. And then I had kids and there was a pragmatic side that I could control my day. It wasn't as if suddenly I'd have a trial and have, you know, oh, I can't get the kids or I can't spend any time with them. I would know my deadlines. And that's a very, you know, with writing, I'm sure in all forms of writing, there were deadlines. And so for, uh, for the appeals bureau in the DA's office, usually it was once a month, which is the um, the terms at the appellate division. And so you'd know, okay, right before that, I'm going to have a bad week or two. But you you could schedule things. You could, and I could be the helping parent at preschool. I could go on a class trip and I could get out for my dance class. <laughs> but I did that very quietly. <laughs> um, and um, it was hard because I had... Uh, I hadn't really been writing. It wasn't what I thought I liked to do. Although looking back, I realized as a kid, I wrote a diary. I wrote letters to friends. I mean, long, long letters. I've been a, a letter writer my whole life. Now I write long emails to friends. And so I guess this translated into it. I, I And I learned I enjoy words. I enjoy making the argument, constructing it, crafting something so it's better. 
But again, my still my thought was, oh, like oral arguments, that's the most exciting thing. And it is. It's very exciting. You're challenged by the, the judges asking you questions. Um, but uh, at a certain point, I took a break. And then you left the public sector and returned to the private sector? I became a recruiter and I was in various roles uh, doing that. And it was that I, I didn't write. <laughs> I didn't write at all. I talked to people all day long. So it was a nice break from writing. But then I went back into the court system, the appellate division, uh, as you mentioned, and I was at the same court where I used to do my arguments and submit submit my briefs. And that's where I am now. I've been, um, you know, it's a it's a behind the scenes job. It may not have been what right out of law school, I think it would have been disappointing. Um, but now I see cases, I see them at a much quicker pace. I see where I used to work on one or two cases, three cases, maybe a month. Now I work on two cases a week. And my role is to um, to analyze the cases, to summarize the facts, research, look at the issues, and then make a recommendation for the judges who are going to hear the case. And uh, it's um, it's really very intellectually challenging work. It's um, quick paced. Uh, some people have compared it to being like a, a journalist, a news reporter, because you got to get those cases and you have those deadlines to meet. Wow. You mentioned to me uh, in a previous conversation that a judge had told you that you are now practicing the, the purest form of law. W- what did the judge mean by that? Uh, lawyers are advocates. If you're representing a client, it you have to present that client's position. You have to uh, come up with the result, make the arguments, write the brief or write the uh, recommendations in a way that will benefit your client. Um, that you may not think it's the right result, but if it's a reasonable representation, that's what you, you know, interpretation, that's what you put in your brief. Uh, at my law firm, we used to say, well, you put an argument in if it passes the chuckle test. Like, how, can you can you make this argument with a straight face? <laughs> <laughs> Without laughing. And you have an interesting example of this from your experience as a private sector attorney. I was asked last minute to read last minute. I was given an assignment like that day and it was needed for five in the morning for when the senior associate was going. So it was a, a quick but not quick uh, legal research assignment. And I'd have to write a memo with my conclusion. And it was as to whether a particular piece of evidence would be admissible at a trial. And I researched it. I wrote it. I was sure my career was over. I, you know, like, like one or two in the morning, I'm like, Oh God, I can't read this anymore. And I handed in and the, the associate, the senior person came in the next day and said, oh, good job. Thank you. And I, oh, I'm not I'm not being fired. OK, great. And um, but my conclusion in the end was, no, this is not admissible for whatever reasons. OK, five months go by. The same senior lawyer calls me and said, oh, yeah, remember you did a, a research memo. Well, um, we need you to write a brief on that. They were putting it in. So now I had basically said it's not admissible. And now I was being called on to write a brief saying this is why you should put it in. So this is what I mean. You, I couldn't come up with the 
pure conclusion, I had to represent my client. And I am now, I'm in uh, the law department, and I'm not working for a particular judge. If you work for a particular judge, and the judge wants to write a decision going a certain way, you have to write the decision the way the judge wants to go. My role is different. I I read the briefs, and I figure out what I think is the right result. And that's what I I can make my own recommendation. So that's why it's pure. Now, I don't think that's easy. Sometimes I've faced really close cases or or heart-wrenching cases where I really, uh, you know, I do criminal work. So should this person really be guilty? Did they have the intent? Whatever. And I, I really am not sure. So, but in my role, I can write a report, I can make my recommendation, and I can also say, on the other hand, there's a very strong case for this and this. And I say, thank goodness there's five judges who have to make this decision. It's not on me. I can say what I think is a stronger position, but I don't have to ultimately make the decision. Oh, wow. So now now I understand, because when you made that remark you know, earlier, when you said uh, the judge said this is the purest form of law, um, I, I, was, I was hoping that, that, that you would explain it, and, and you have, and that's, that does sound really remarkable. I mean, you, you're allowed to be really objective and, and balanced in the best sense of the word. Right, it is. It's, um, I think it's unique in law jobs. That's so cool. And of course, that's it. So has there been a TV program about a principal court attorney at the New York State Appellate Division? If not, <laughs> why? <laughs> I, I think it's, uh, well, I think about that also, for example, um, with, uh, we had interns and I'm like, this is kind of a boring job. If someone comes to see what I do, they just sit, see me sitting at a desk and writing. <laughs> so that's, that's probably why there's no TV show. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you, you, you've also said that a large part of your role at the appellate division involves writing, lots of writing, lots and lots of writing. So talk to us for a bit about the relationship between law and the written word. Uh, How are writing and the law related? Uh, Well, I think when I went to law school, and maybe I think most non-lawyers, although maybe other people were not as naive as I was, uh, if you talk about the law, you have an image of something that is written in a book that the legislature passed, and that's the law. But it's not that simple, because a statute is just a starting point. Words can have particular meanings. This is You can interpret them differently. A comma can change whether a condition applies to one part of a law or both parts, if there's an and, or it, it's, and, and the, what actually is the law is the cases that come to court where sides take different positions on the interpretation of something. And the ruling is then what it, it becomes the law. And that's why the law evolves and it evolves through things that are written interpreting the law. And um, it's a very, Writing also, and just in general, writing is critical to the law. Um, there are, in in a role, lawyers have different roles, and there can be deal makers, it can be people just give advice to clients and then have other lawyers write it up or handle the paperwork. Um, but eventually, it's the written works that... Uh, creates the law or the deal or whatever it is. Uh, 
And I was trying to think of an example of this. So I'm going to read the third degree burglary statute. Okay? okay. So a person, and this is the New York statute, a person is guilty of third degree burglary when he, and he means he or she, knowingly enters or remains unlawfully in a building with the intent to commit a crime therein. There's 20 issues right there. Okay. And this is where writing and words become so important. Knowingly enters. What does that mean? Well, it means, let's say you don't really realize you're going into the private part of a building. It looks like a public space. Did you knowingly go into a private building where you're not allowed? What is remains unlawfully? Well, you go into a store and then you hide somewhere. And after you, you went in lawfully, but the store closes and you don't leave when they say the store is closed or an office or whatever it is. Then you are remaining unlawfully. And it has to be knowingly. If you pass out and you're, nobody sees you, you didn't remain unlawfully because it wasn't knowing. And it has to be in a building. Building. Building even has a definition. I had a case once where the building, the burglary was committed by walking behind a secretary's desk and then pulling her pocketbook out of a drawer. That was considered a building. The uh, The messenger came up. He was fine. He was allowed to come in, but he entered unlawfully. The building was considered the area behind her desk. Who would think of that? Right. See? Wow. And I'm not even done. Intent to commit a crime therein. So you have to, when you, if you get in there, if you enter, um, you you push open a back door to a, a building. It's not yours. And you're just, I don't know, you're, uh, you're homeless and you want to go somewhere warm. Okay. Um, did you enter with the intent to commit a crime? No, but then you're in there and now you see, I don't know, something valuable and you decide to steal it. Then you didn't enter with the intent to commit a crime. So this is just an example of how words can have so many meetings. And then it's for the lawyers will argue, a defense lawyer will argue at trial uh, and present evidence to try to show, oh, this guy was homeless. He didn't go in there to steal. Um, he, or he didn't know it was private property. He thought he was allowed to, uh, to enter that part of the space. So there's um, words and I'm, I'm inter- interpreting writing is back to its roots of being words. People do tend to think that the law is very cut and dried, but it, it certainly isn't. Um, and, and I love your description earlier as, you know, the law as a flowering garden that is just continually and continuously going through changes. Uh, and it's never the same from one day to the next. You've uh, stated this very poetically. Uh, so thank you. Uh, the, as a non-attorney, I'm, I'm impressed. Um, and, and also this, I can also understand why um, this uh, is difficult for a lot of people. I, I Many of the lawyers that I know, not you, but others are, are uh, not entirely what I would describe as happy people. And, um, and perhaps one of the reasons is all this ambiguity and uh, uncertainty. Or I think also one thing I think can make people a lawyer unhappy is, um, well, there's a lot of stress in the job, but I think if you have to take positions that you don't agree with. Uh, I think that can be very difficult if you feel 
something is wrong um, or it's not, the outcome isn't correct. And you don't, you feel, I, I mean, when I made this transition from um, the private sector to the public sector, one thing I found is the pri- everything in business and such, is the, the underlying motivation is money. People need to make money. And I realized I didn't really care that much. <laughs> I was uh, I was working on a real estate deal, and you know it was going to be this much per square foot or that much. Per square. I, I, my heart wasn't in it. It didn't have a reality to me. If I go into, uh, I went to the DA's office, and then it's a question of whether you know does the rapist get out of jail because there was an error in um collecting evidence or something i mean there's there's different issues and of course uh the issues from the prosecutor's side are very different than the defense issues and it's not always clear that um you know defendants shouldn't necessarily be convicted and there's there's a whole issue with incarceration which is why i initially avoided criminal law but I ended up there because it seemed to be a place where I could work, where I could put myself into the work and feel better about what I was doing. And I didn't ever feel that I was asked to do something, even in the DA's office, that went against my convictions. I never had a case where I thought this guy didn't do it and I'm, I'm writing a brief to try to you know, uphold the conviction. Interesting. Wow. So tell me, uh, Tammy, are you still dancing? Uh, yes, I am. <laughs> Through the pandemic, that meant I was in this little room with a, a floor and on Zoom and uh, holding on to a uh, kitchen stepladder. Uh, quite interesting and making sure my leg went higher than the bed so I didn't kick things. But um, so that was that was quite a challenge. Uh, there some of my some wonderful teachers who I knew from classes in the studio, and that made it easier to continue in a virtual format. And um, it's been, I feel like the world has caught up to me to some degree, because I'll read legal publications and uh, there's, uh, you know, weekly featured articles on what my workout routine is from people in different uh, types of practices in different parts of the country. And I think exercise is a very important part of of approaching your day and giving you that break from what you're doing. And then beside that, uh, dance isn't just exercise, it's art, it's expression, it's this music. There are other people who dance much better than I do, and I get to watch them while I take class. And that's uh, truly inspiring and uplifting, and it takes my mind off whatever thorny legal issue I was trying to work out. And uh, by the end of class, I'm, I'm in a different place. This has definitely turned into one of the uh, the better conversations uh, in this series. Uh, I know that technically the uh, this is supposed to be conversations with journalists and writers, but, um, you know, writing is more than just writing uh, in the same way that the law is more than just the law. And ballet is more than just ballet, whatever that means. <laughs> so on that note, you have, uh, you have performed well, and thank you. And, uh, and I also love uh, just the fact that, that you really got into, uh, you know, revealing the, um, the, the multidimensionality of objectivity. What does that mean? Uh, just that there's, you know, objectivity is not as easy as, 
uh, as it looks. Um, and uh, But there is a comfort in it, and I think it's a worthy goal. So, again, I, I thank you, and uh, and I hope that our, uh, our listeners have enjoyed this uh, and will enjoy this conversation as much as I have. Well, thank you so much, Mike. It was a real pleasure to be on your podcast and to speak to you about all these things. That was my conversation with Tammy Azenson, Principal Court Attorney for the Appellate Division of the New York State Supreme Court. I hope you enjoyed our back and forth, and I look forward to speaking with Tammy again. Until then, cheers, best wishes, and good health to all. That wraps up another episode of Paid by the Word, a podcast featuring conversations with writers, editors, and media professionals. We are grateful for your attention and we wish you all the very best. Stay safe and be well. Bye-bye.